what if I like started a, my own record label powered by my fans? I've made like well into six figures on Patreon since I started. I self-release under Rebel River Records, but also I use my patrons as this kind of, they act as like my label reps, as like, I like to say, because I literally post all of the songs for that I'm considering for my records on Patreon and they vote on which songs they think should go on the record. It's really cool. been fun to get to not not only crowdfund, but also crowdsource their opinions and, and treat them like my team. This episode is brought to you by Bandzoogle. This is how you should be creating your website. I've made many websites on Bandzoogle for years, long before they were paying me to tell you about it. I told everyone about it because it's super, super easy. Don't mess around with web developers. Let me tell you. The most frustrating people on planet Earth are web developers. No offense to my brother, who is a web developer. He's amazing. He was the one who originally built Ari'sTake.com. You're awesome, Mika. Hey, what up? Okay. Uh, but they're frustrating. They're always overworked. They take on too many projects. They're always getting sniped by startups that will pay them way more than any independent musician can pay them. So you should not be messing around with web developers. Stop paying web developers. Seriously. You know this by now if you have been hiring web developers for your website. You can't get a hold of them. You can't afford them. And they are just, the turnaround times are way too long. So, Banzoogle. This is how you can build a website. It's super easy. They also have a built-in store, commission-free. You can sell music. You can sell downloads, PDFs. Whatever you want to sell, it's all commission-free. They have a crowdfunding service. This is new. That's also commission-free. They also have a subscription service on there if you want to kind of start your own fan club and have subscribers, fans, patrons, whatever you want to call them, commission-free. This is all at Banzoogle.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you use the code ARI. That's my name. And you also get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Go to Banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. That's just spelled A-R-I for 15% off the first year of any subscription. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Third edition is out now, everywhere in hardcover, in audiobook, or ebook, or however you consume books. You can find How to Make It in the New Music Business on that. Today, my guest is Ray Zaragoza. She is an incredibly talented indie DIY singer songwriter artist who just released her new album hold that spirit it's a great record you should check it out um the record all the collaborators on it actually all the songwriters and producers they're all women um we talk about that a little bit and, and kind of uh, how that came to be um she uh is very successful on patreon she has made over six figures on patreon uh with just 150 patrons um and we talk about how she did that and how that does it she's been very successful on sync she's had a bunch of sync she has a sync agent she's repped by one of the best sync agencies out there um and she's gotten a lot of success there and we talk about how she writes for sync what that even means to write for sync what uh, co-writing sessions 
are like and how, you know, writing to briefs and all that. So, you know, I've had a lot of people on the show from the other side of of Sync where music supervisors and Sync agents. And if you're interested in Sync, go listen to those episodes because um, we've had so many people in Sync from from Lindsay Wolfington, uh, Jen Malone, Madonna Wade Reed, these these music supervisor superstars um, to various Sync agencies um and now an artist who who uh does really well in writing for sync uh she's also a composer well she's a uh she she was writing music or has written music for netflix's show spirit rangers and she's i guess officially credited as the composer on that but as she'll talk about she writes songs for this animated kids show and we talk about the business behind that and how she goes about writing uh for the for the show and how she gets credited how the royalties work how the money works all of that stuff of course this is the new music business podcast so we dig into all of that but ray is an artist who is really embodies the DIY ethos and spirit. She makes a uh, good living as an indie musician doing a lot of the things. You know, she's going on a headlining tour this fall, and you should definitely see her. She's doing a U.S. headlining tour. Um, you know, she's a DIYer, and she, um, you know, writes for Sync, and, and she has all these various buckets of how she makes it work. And so if you're an artist or a manager out there and you're kind of like, well, how are people making it work these days? You know, this is an episode to listen to. And and like she'll tell you, her streaming numbers are very modest. Um, and they are uh, not numbers that you would normally think of when you see them of an artist who is making a very good living in music as an original performing contemporary artist uh but she's making it work and making it work really well so you know don't get blinded by the vanity metrics and um really focus on what is most important in your career and we talk about that on this episode and that is cultivating a diehard strong audience fan base that's going to stick with you for life and also just making a living doing what you love and um we talk all about that and and ray fully embodies it. You can find Ray Zaragoza, that's R-A-Y-E-Z-A-R-A-G-O-Z-A, Ray Zaragoza, on all the socials. Go follow her on all the socials. Find her on however you listen to music. Her new album is called Hold That Spirit. It's a great record. Go listen to that album. You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and threads and all the spots. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Twitter and maybe threads still. I don't know. Pause the show right now. Give us a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Hit that follow button. Hit that subscribe button. However you're listening to this right now, just pause right now. Hit the follow. Hit the subscribe. If you want to get more episodes like this in your feed, that really helps. But most importantly, go to Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That is where you're going to get the most up-to-date information. Uh, you know, we can't live and die by the social media platforms or the streaming platforms or any of that stuff. But if you want to stay in touch, if you want helpful information and tips in your inbox about the new music business, go to aristake.com, sign up on the email list, and that's how we're going to stay in touch. <laughs> email is still tried and true after all these years. All right. Well, let's kick into the show. Ray Zaragoza, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What an honor. <laughs> like the Ari Herstan. This is so exciting. The, I'm super excited. Um, it's funny, you know, 
uh last i saw you was a few weeks ago walking the red carpet at the les mis uh i think it was the (laughs) opening opening night night at the pantages and right opening night yeah and i i didn't think too much of it i'm just like oh you know she's got an album coming out so like her publicist is like hooking it up and like this makes sense and everything and i like from my vantage point i like snapped a video i'm like oh that's cool right you know (laughs) get it but then you announced like a few days later that you were cast uh, as Tiger Lily in the national Broadway tour of Peter Pan, yeah. which then I connected the dots. I'm like, oh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Um, so first off, congrats on that. That's Thank like a you. that's like my dream. I'm a huge musical theater, Are you a theater nut. Kid? Yes. Um, as you could probably, I'm dude. I'm such a theater kid. Oh, so same. like that's. I was losing my shiz. So excited. So happy for you. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> I'm like so excited. Yeah. So what's the, like, I guess, I mean, I have so many questions about it. Yeah. We could spend the entire time talking about it, which we're not right. because you're here to talk about your new album, which is amazing. I want to get <laughs> oh, into that and all of that and the tour sure. and all the stuff you're here to promote. But my my musical theater uh, kid inside of me needs to ask just a few yes. questions. So, um, have you start? I know you've done the the promo for it because I've seen the mm-hmm. photos and the press releases and and the playbill article and everything. But like, have you started rehearsing it all, or mm-hmm. what's the process like right now? Yeah. So right now it's like crazy because I'm kind of like straddling both Peter Pan and then the album promotional tour. Um, also, if you hear anything, it's yeah. my dog. She's just like going crazy right next to me. But um, <laughs> she's having a blast <laughs> okay. like in her playpen. Um, so yeah, so basically nice. like I'm doing both things simultaneously. I was in New York a couple of weeks ago for the for a developmental workshop for Peter Pan. And then I'm going back okay. to New York in a couple of weeks for um, choreography stuff. But we like officially start rehearsals cool. in um, October or the end of October, beginning of November. And I literally, my headline tour goes from, I leave in two weeks and then I'm doing that for like five weeks. And then I have one week off and then I start like hardcore six days a week rehearsals for Peter Pan. So it's just like oh my gosh. craziness, but like <laughs> I, I don't feel stressed. I'm like so excited about all of it. I think like, for me, yeah. you know, I grew up in New York City. My dad was on Broadway when I was a kid. I grew up doing off-Broadway and oh. and regional theater when I was, like, eight years old until I was a teenager. So, like, I've always cool. done theater. And then I kind of stopped doing theater to just focus on music. So now I'm getting back into it. But theater feels so much at, like home. And I already feel this, like, weight off my shoulders that for a year – I get someone who's going to tell me where to be, tell me what to do, tell me what to say. (laughs) And as you know, and as all your listeners know, as an independent artist, Uh there's so much agency involved. There's so much, you have to be your own boss at every hour of every day. So it's kind of exciting to get to step into a role for a year or so. We'll see how long I'm doing Mm -hmm. the show. Um, And also to be a part of such an iconic character in a new and re- imagined way that's not going to be racist anymore and not going to be um super stereotypical anymore and i'm excited about that mm-hmm. responsibility to get to recreate that with the playwright and um the director so it's all very exciting but yeah a yeah. Lot, lot going on <laughs> wait so tell me about this new peter pan yeah. uh is, is this like 
I, I guess I'm, I'm not super familiar with this version. Yeah. Is this, a, like a, a, you said reimagined, is right. this like a brand new musical that has been rewritten, you said, with the playwright mm -hmm. and the director? So tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, and and so... how is it not racist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, then, um, yeah. I mean, first of all, like everyone's going to have to see it because there's a lot of stuff that we're still developing right now. Okay. But um, basically, oh, okay. this is the musical the like broadway hit musical peter pan that kathy rigby did like we are doing yep. that show oh, but okay. there have been a lot of gotcha. modifications and changed an additional book written by larissa fast horse who is an amazing indigenous playwright who has a show on broadway right now the thanksgiving play that i went to go see that was amazing and i actually did awesome. her very first musical ever when it was developing at native voices at the autry in los angeles when i was 14 and so to get to come full wow. circle and not be a part of like her biggest musical yet is like really really exciting so yeah larissa fast horse has done additional book has pretty much with the you know the estate has granted her the um responsibility and honor of getting to you know get to completely rewrite uh the parts of the musical that she wants to and the parts that need changing yeah. and um you know I am not allowed to say like so much about what's different because we want to leave that sure. to everyone when they get to see it. But Tiger Lily in the original was this like silent daughter of the chief who like hardly has any lines. And then she has like this one very racist song and it's different in the movie, but in, in the, in the musical, it's like this horrible, horribly stereotypical song. So I can say that that is gone. Um, and there's mm. a whole new okay. song and uh, Tiger Lily is a much bigger character, a much larger part of the story arc and of, you know, taking hook, hook down and she's a bigger part of everything. Cool. And so it's, it's really exciting cool. to get to do that because um, also this character is so beloved and also I'm excited about the changes. And now Neverland represents not only like native american people but also represents indigenous extinct indigenous tribes from all over the world and wow a member of every different tribe went to neverland to preserve their culture so it's really exciting because we're not uh. only yeah we're not like because in the original tag lily and her tribe was like one fictional tribe but now yeah. Never, the, the Indians, the in indigenous people of Neverland represent many different tribes that are extinct from around the world. So it's really exciting because we're getting to cover so much ground of um, a very different people. And so I'm just one of those people. And so, yeah, it's really it's really cool. That's awesome. And uh, I'm sure it's um, it. I, I, well, I'm curious, like as an indigenous person or uh i believe you're from uh, correct my pronunciation akimel otam how do you I say i am that? of akimel uh, descent? descent i'm also mexican Thank and you. asian american yep <laughs> right yeah. right so uh, did it like did Lar did larissa seek you out for this did you audition how yeah, did this come to I be i auditioned um i was i did the whole audition process cool. which was wow. wild and so much fun and I definitely, the casting director, um, Duncan, who was so amazing and helped me through the whole process, knew I was really nervous because I haven't been a part of an audition process like this since I was a kid, literally, um, since I started doing music at 18. So I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I made, like, I was on tour in a hotel room 
and I made an audition tape. And, you know, usually when you do audition tapes, like you need to have a really nice backdrop and all the lighting needs to look good and everything. Yeah. But I was in this like horribly dim lit, like lit, like hotel in <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, about to open for. Hey, my hometown. Oh, yeah, no way. Um, about <laughs> yeah, to open for yeah. Delta Ray that night. I hadn't slept uh-huh. the night before and I had to get the audition tape in that day. And so that's how I did my first audition. And then I had to fly to New York for two callbacks. Um, and then I, I ah. booked it. So, yeah, um, I definitely was on their radar because I've worked with Larissa before. But um it was really sure. cool to get to do the whole thing. And but not for like 15 years. Yeah, but. for like 15 years. <laughs> haven't worked with her since then. But yeah. the coolest part was getting to be a part of a dance call because that was so scary. And I told them, I was like, look, like I haven't really danced like this in like 10 years. And they're like, you're going to be fine. Just get yeah. in there. Come to New York in Midtown in the big studio. And we're going to have you do a dance call with all oh, these God. other ensemble <laughs> dancers who went to school for it and have been yeah. dancing for 10 years, five days a week. And I'm like, okay, great. Here we go. And so I did the dance call and it was like really fun. And like, it was this pirate dance. So it was a blast. But yeah, I was super nervous. Um, But it was also (laughs) really fun. Like the theater kid inside of me who got to sing, like I I sang a song from Hadestown. um, And I think then I sang one of my songs, but it was fun to get to sing a musical theater song and like get to scratch that itch of musical theater again. (laughs) So cool. Um, oh, I love to hear that they've they've updated it. And uh, I mean, just from looking at the uh, Playbill announcement, well, the promo photo that's gone everywhere. I mean, Tiger Lily's one of the leads, one of the four leads, I guess, yeah. as, as what the, the image looks like. So that's that's super cool. Um, yeah, I, I not many people know this. Some people do. Uh, but uh, similarly, when I came out to L.A., um, I started screen acting yeah. uh, a little bit. Like I grew up doing theater similarly, yeah. and then I um, like fell into acting and and like felt completely out of my element since I hadn't done anything since theater or whatever. But like started doing like a, a bunch of different like TV shows and everything like that, and no and way. totally, I mean, so out of the element, but so much fun. And it, you're right, it's like. It's so, even though it's all under the entertainment industry umbrella, it's so dramatically different running an independent music career than anything else in in the entertainment world, especially theater or TV, film, all that stuff, where they literally like, yes, they tell you where to be, Mm -hmm. what to say, what time to show up, stay in your trailer, I'm going to come get you, time for lunch, you know. Everything. It's like night and day where it's just like, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, but you're like, you embody kind of this DIY indie musician um, essence and spirit and energy and everything that I mean, like you've really established and built up such an incredible career for yourself. Um, and with this, uh, your new album, uh, Hold That Spirit, um, like I want to I want to talk about that um, and and then kind of work our way backwards a little mm-hmm. bit on just kind of how you you came you got here. Um, but something that really kind of took me well first listening to it brilliant record beautiful i love it the production incredible the songwriting's great um yeah lyrically it's really strong and it's like authentically you but like really big and enhanced production but then you strip it down it's it's really cool and and i really resonated and what was what was uh interesting um so track number one uh joy revolution i'm i'm listening to it i got my good uh, good headphones on and i'm listening to it I'm like, damn, 
this production sounds like AG. This sounds like Adrian Gonzalez. <laughs> no like way. literally, like first, I I'm not <laughs> shitting you, and because I'm like a I, I like I'm a big Rescues fan, yes. and I've like known Adrian for years, yeah. and like I I played a few shows with the Rescues back in the day, and like I'm listening, I know all of her stuff, and every you know I'm just like you know. And so I'm listening to this. I'm like, man, this really sounds like AG production. And sure enough, it's AG. <laughs> AG produced it. That's yeah, yeah right. It was AG. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> AG produced three of the yeah. songs on the record, and she is amazing. And also doing stuff with musical theater right now yeah. too. So, um, yeah, she's. Oh no, shit! I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, cool. she's uh, amazing. Love her. Um, yeah. So, well, talk. So, um, I I read and I and I noticing on the credits. Um, all your collaborators on the record were women. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The, the record was made so, entirely by women. All the co-writers, producers, engineers, mastering engineer, wow. and artwork. Pretty, pretty much everything. Yeah. So did that just happen mm-hmm. because uh, those are your current yeah. collaborators, and and at the end of the day, you're like, oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Or was that intentional from the get go? It was. Uh, a little bit of both, but it, initially it was an accident okay. and then it became intentional. Once I realized mm. what was happening, I was like, let's lean into this. Um, but a lot of yeah. the collaborators on this record were people that my sync agents linked me up with to write for sync. And then mm. I w- secret road. Secret road. Yeah. Right. And so that's how I met yeah. Anna Schultz. That's how I met Haley um, McLean mm-hmm. Texada, and all these amazing women. And I don't know. I just, I, I just, these were my favorite when I signed with Secret Road in 2022, 2021, um, end of 2021, mm-hmm. I they set me up on like tons of rights. And then these just like ended up being my favorites. And then I ended up writing with them again. And I was like, huh, this is funny. A lot of my favorite writers I'm writing with are women. And then we wrote all these songs, mm. um, many of which kind of started out as like, maybe this would be for sync. And then I realized about yeah. a year later, I was like, no, like I'm writing a record here. And then I asked uh, Lynn Grossman, you know, Secret Road, um, who runs Secret Road. And I was like, is it weird if I make an album with like many different producers? She's like, that's not weird. Do it. And so I ended up having this like <laughs> overarching theme of, um, you know, songs all made by women. And I have a few songs um, with yeah. collaborators that I made with um, folks who aren't women. And those were like, there were like, only a few songs that I kind of had to be like, well, that'll be for another project. But so it was accidental, yeah. but then it became intentional. And then I sought out like a female mastering engineer and and did that, um, cool. which ended up really working out, especially in that time in my life where I was really needing some sisterhood and some support from women because yeah. I was like going through a breakup yeah. and all these things. And so, yeah, it ended up being this kind of beautiful accident. Yeah, and um, it made a lot of sense that you're with Secret Road. And, and Lynn Grossman, for those who don't know, she started, she initially was a music supervisor. Then she started managing Ingrid Michelson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was her only client as management for many years, if not still. And then she started Secret Road. And Secret Road is one of the powerhouse sync agents out there. Um, and that and is that how you met AG also? No, I actually I, met AG oh. through uh, Connie Lim, Milk, Um Milk. Connie and yeah. I have been friends for a while, I mean, like six years or so. Um, I literally just mm-hmm. like she was like one of those like people I was such a big fan of. And I told my my managers, I was like, can you like figure out how I can get lunch with her? And then they like figured it out. <laughs> and then I got lunch with her. And yeah. then we were like fast friends and have been like friends ever since. I'm surprised you didn't run into Connie um, Milk uh, over the years in the Hotel Cafe singer songwriter scene um, or whatnot. Because I. 
No. Yeah. And I was always okay. so in and out cool. of the LA scene too, because I was living in New York and then back and sure. forth. But um, but yeah, so right. that's how I met AG was Con- Connie had me sing on one of her songs for like a thing that she put on Instagram. And then AG was like, who's that? Let's all write together. And then cool. we all went from there. Yeah. 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 And um, what I mean, this kind of um, it, it really works out and it makes sense because both, you know, Connie Milk mm-hmm. is her artist name, M-I-L-C-K, um, is uh, and and is, is like a fellow activist. Mm-hmm. And she kind of broke out um, during the Women's March yeah. uh, with her song, I Can't Keep Quiet um, in was that 2017? I guess it was right after it was the big women's march. Yeah, January right? 2017 right was after the women's the... march. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it made sense because the, a lot of the themes on this record, um, I mean, they're, well, it's a very personal record, but it, it has a lot of universal themes, but also uh, rooted in, in kind of this individual kind of feminism and just like mm-hmm. self empowerment and, and just like awareness. Uh, and is that like was is that been something that is always uh, was that similar i guess the same question like was that intentional going into this writing process mm-hmm. or did kind of milk i'm gonna just call it yeah. milk did she kind of uh help d- did did you guys talk about that mm-hmm. did that come out in in the writing sessions yeah. did uh you know i guess being surrounded by women through all of this um i'm curious to know just like Mm-hmm. what that experience was like in the writing rooms yeah. um and in the in the recording sessions with topics that you cover in this mm-hmm. i mean you i you know you it's in your bio and press release and 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 it, you wrote about it on your description on youtube but like you have a song acknowledging like close. an eating disorder which is you know something that's like the themes in this are are very very personal mm-hmm. and very at times heavy and so i'm just i'm curious like you know kind of uh getting so personal and like you said one mm-hmm. coming out of the breakup of you were engaged yeah. i mean like this is like really intense mm-hmm. intense stuff so tell me about the process of just like actually deciding to write about that yeah. and then actually deciding to release yeah. it and now i mean you're here talking about it which yeah. i know is not fucking easy yeah. like i <laughs> did it you know i'm i'm an artist i released yeah. a really personal record and then had to go talk about it for a while yeah. so like yeah, step me through the all totally. of this. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't really realize yeah. what I was doing until it was done. Um, I okay. feel like I've been trying to explain this to people about at least for me when I'm in a room writing a song with someone, it doesn't really cross my yeah. mind that this song is going to be released or could be released or. That's not really okay. what I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about let's write a good song. Like, let's write. Like, what are we feeling? And I feel like, you know, all most of these songs on this record were written the last year, like with the year I was 29, the year that like all these things went down in my life that I got engaged and then we broke up and all these things. And I realized that a lot of these writing sessions with these women were like my safe place away from a lot of the drama going down mm. in my life. And um especially the so anna schultz she 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 made a bulk of the song she did four songs with me and we would talk for like three and a half hours and then start writing a song Mm -hmm. um and yeah and i really feel like i kind of was using her as a therapist a little bit but we got so deep Mm. 
into how we were feeling and we connected on so many levels um, that mm. once we got to the stage of writing the song, it was so hyper personal. I mean, she helped me write Sweetheart and Not a Monster, Hold That Spirit and Garden, which I think are so mm. personal, especially mm -hmm. Not a Monster, talking about mm -hmm. disordered eating, something mm -hmm. that Anna and I both um, experienced. And so I feel like getting so personal on this record um, was really just the outcome of working with people like Anna, like uh, Milk and AG and Belinda Huang and uh, Haley McLean because I felt so comfortable with them. Um, I consider all mm. of them like very, very close friends. And so it was so easy mm -hmm. to be so, so raw and vulnerable with them and just write from that place. And then when we went through and yeah. picked all of the best songs for the record, it ended up being a lot of the more vulnerable songs. And then the, all these things happened in my life and all of these things I was writing about kind of came true. Like the things that I was struggling with came mm -hmm. to fruition. And then it was time to package the record together. And then I listened to it down before I released it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is really heavy. <laughs> Um, and really personal yeah. <laughs> and really um, uplifting in many parts, but also really uh, triggering yeah. and intense. And yeah. I almost didn't realize I was doing that until it was all packaged and done. And here's the songs, because when you're in it and when it's your story, it almost doesn't feel that deep or intense because you experienced it. So it just feels like an sure. everyday thing. And so I've really yeah. come to realize that in interviews and, and realizing, whoa, like this is mm. some intense stuff. And there have been a couple interviews earlier on before the album was out. Now that yeah. the album is out, I feel like all that, all that pain, all that intensity has been like released into the sky and it's out of my body and I feel so good yeah. about it. But the interviews before the album came out where I was doing interviews for the album for when it had come out. So like these were interviews we were pre-recording or whatever. Those were really hard for me. Right. And those felt intense. Yeah. And I felt like, should an artist be this honest? Should we keep more to ourselves? Am I making yeah. a mistake by talking too much about my life and all these things, all of which I've come to the conclusion. No, I, I'm proud of everything I've put out. But um, I think yeah. those first interviews were definitely hard. <laughs> Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have... have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, two losses partnered with BMG, you know, it's legit. They offer 
instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of Everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue, uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Yeah, and you know, like you mentioned, songwriting is a form of therapy. It's it's therapy for us, or even the the process of of writing or in those sessions and. Um, but so is the act of recording and releasing. Mm -hmm. And I remember when, you know, I similarly, I, I, um, got out of a breakup of 11 years, um, years back and I wrote, um, you know, my only way to cope after that 11 year breakup was songwriting, was writing about it. Yeah. And I spent the whole year just writing <laughs> and I wrote like 40 songs and, you know, um, it was incredibly therapeutic mm -hmm. for me. And then I wasn't writing for anything right, right. either. I was just like, I just need to do this yeah, for myself. I wasn't planning on doing a record. Mm -hmm. It wasn't writing with other, you know, I just needed to get it out. And then I was like, all right, I, I want to kind of, you know, put some of these and record some of them and, and release them. And, and it was kind of like, I remember when I mentioned to my therapist that like, I'm, I, I want to release this mm -hmm. And he's like, and he, he's like, you know, yeah, uh, releasing is very important, mm -hmm. and releasing the, it's a great word for yeah. what you're doing. Mm -hmm. and like, exactly. It's like it we always say, oh, we're releasing a record, yeah. but it's like you're releasing so much more than just uh, recordings, yeah. just so much more than just a, a body of work mm -hmm. or whatever. Like in, when when it's so personal like this, yeah. releasing, you need to do that to complete it it's like it's like the bookend it's mm -hmm. like okay now i can move on and i was with um you know my uh, i was i was um dating someone at the time who's now my wife mm -hmm. um and you know going through this process while she was around it was like you know she was like you need to release yeah. this like she couldn't <laughs> handle being around it anymore right. she's like all right i yeah please so get this out true. so we can move forward <laughs> it's so yeah. true um i feel that yeah i feel that like release like yeah. the release of the music and the release of it i mean i'm th this week is a wild week for me one the full moon tonight feel that and then two it will be a year yeah. since um i got engaged this this week so I'm feeling a lot of this and then the album just came wow. out. And so it's like, 
yeah, it just it's it's wild to kind of feel all these things and have it be released, mm. and it's now out of my body, and now it's in the record players of all of the people who enjoy my music, and I've gotten so much, you know, so many messages and and people mm. coming up to me after my shows, being like, "Thank you," and they, maybe they, a lot of people who are going through divorces or breakups or um had been in um, difficult situations and have come to me being like, your music is like the soundtrack to my healing right mm. now. And that means mm. so much. And it makes all of those days where I felt a little uncomfortable of how much I was sharing feel worth it. Because I think that for yeah. me, my favorite artists are when I listen to a song and I'm like, dang, they said that? That's so personal. And then that makes me feel yeah. so good and feel so seen. And so if I can do that for other people, yeah. like that's literally my job. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and you know, it's like once um, it, something that, that you're probably realizing um, and every artist eventually realizes and it's initially startling, I would say at times is, once you release music into the world, or I should say a song into the world, it's no longer your song. Yeah. It's now everybody else's. Yeah. And you can't really control the reaction or response. Mm -hmm. And so some people might interpret a song that's the complete opposite way that you intended. Yeah, but you know what? That That's just, it, yeah. And, and it's like, it's like, I look at that with, um, you know, the Oliver Anthony, mm -hmm. the dude who wrote the the song of uh, Rich Men North of, of Richmond that's, mm -hmm. you know, number one on the charts yeah. right now that they reference at the Republican debate mm -hmm. and like all the conservatives are, are like use it as like a rallying cry. And then he's like, no, I wrote this about you. And like, and it, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like literally he's like, he said that he's like, I can't, no, I wrote this about these assholes. Right. What are they doing? They're trying to, you know, and it's just, it's funny because I was like thinking about it, like, it's like, yeah, it doesn't. But it doesn't matter because yeah. like people are going to interpret songs how they want to interpret it, how it's going to be meaningful to them, how they resonate. And so like you could write a song meaning one thing and then the audience could interpret it something mm -hmm. else. I don't think it's going to be as drastic and extreme and dramatic right. as as that of what Oliver yeah. Anthony is going through right now. But at the same time, it's like getting these responses. I mean, have yeah. you have you gotten responses from people so far, messages where it it maybe the message was uh a little confusing mm -hmm. or be like oh that's not what i meant or 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 yeah. how do you how do you respond to well, that well <laughs> what's funny is um so bittersweet which is one of the songs that i made with milk and ag was not mm -hmm. originally mm -hmm. written as a breakup song um that song was mm. we were kind of we wrote it from this place of like breaking up with a part like, leaving a part of yourself behind that you wanted to leave behind but I mean, sure. the, everyone has, and it, 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 it is a breakup song. It's absolutely a breakup song, but that's not the way we wrote it or yeah. intended it, but we knew that it would be perceived as a breakup song. So we kind of like liked that it was this double meaning, but it's funny because people listen to mm -hmm. it and they're like, wow, like you must've written this like the week or two after your breakup. And I'm like, no, I wrote that like a year earlier and it wasn't even, I, I, I sent it to my former partner showing him the song when I wrote that song. It wasn't a breakup song about him um but it's funny because yeah. it, it now is definitely like the breakup mm. anthem of my record and the song that people reference to oh, wow. most when they are saying like oh this is yeah. like the song that's helping me through my breakup and so that's funny because when we wrote it <laughs> we didn't really write it as a breakup song but it ended up on this breakup album being one of the more 
obvious breakup songs. So it is really funny the way yeah. things can just happen that way. But also, mm. I don't know. My I have a friend or a couple of friends who are always like making fun of me saying that like my songs tell the future and I like write something and then it happens. And so this breakup song, I'm like, oh, this shit. was like one of my tell the future <laughs> songs, maybe. <laughs> Well, is your subconscious slipping in sure, and, yeah. and that divine, uh, you know, um, um, presence that that probably just kind of you hadn't maybe necessarily acknowledged at the time, um, but it but you knew it, it, it like subconsciously yeah. or, or the energies knew or yeah. whatever you want to call it, you yeah. know, that was it. And, and I think like, you know, with songwriting, especially, but all art. It's like, you know, and Rick Rubin talks about this a lot, is kind of like, you know, we are vessels. Yes. Um, and it's not it, like just things flow through Absolutely. us and it's it's you can't really control a lot of it. And so it, it was there mm-hmm. floating around and you kind of it. captured it uh, unintentionally and it flowed right through yeah. you. And, and that's why things happen coming through, because it's just yeah. like it's there already. And now it's just kind of flowing through you. that way. Oh, I'm all about that. I love that. I, I've always felt like I don't I can't take credit for writing my songs like my ancestors mm-hmm. are a part of it. Like this is yep. all just things that I'm they're flowing through me. I'm like catching them and, and sending them off and. So, um, yeah, yep. I, I so resonate with that. Yeah. So I'm curious about um, the co-writing process. So mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that you were writing a lot for sync. Yeah. Um, I w- first off, explain what that means, yeah. writing for sync. Yeah. So writing for sync. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't really know if I was doing it correctly or, or, or doing writing for sync correctly. But I think whenever I'm really writing for sync I think it's we're writing to a brief so we get a brief and then it's like a specific tv show or a specific scene they're looking for something that sounds like this something that sounds like that um they want my vocal because my vocal maybe is like Florence of the Machine or, or something like that or um and then we go based on the brief and then we create something but what's fun is that I feel like with most of the writers I write with in the sync world we're very loosey goosey. So we'll get a brief and then we end up taking it on a whole different direction (laughs) and then send it to our reps. (laughs) And they're like, okay, cool. We'll put it in this other category. Um, so I feel like for me as like a quote unquote, like sync writer or sync artist, I'm, I I don't know. I feel like I very lucky. And since I've signed with secret road, have had a lot of great luck with sync and have a lot of awesome syncs, but I don't know if when I'm in the room, if we're really after that first 10 minutes of having a conversation about the brief or a brief, if we even brought one into the room, if anything after that Mm -hmm. is really focused on sync and really we're just focused on what we want to say. The thing that is Mm. very sync, we, I will say is we, we try to stay away from anything too specific. We try to stay away from profanities. Um, We try to make it, if it's a love song, be a love song that could be interpreted as not a love song or different things. So we try to make things that are really, I don't want to say generic or general, but like just open to interpretation, which is already how I like to write. Like I like to write in a way, Mm. like you said, where this song could be interpreted in many different ways. I love that kind of writing. And I think that lends itself very well to sync. Um, Yeah. But generally when i'm in a room for sync we just kind of write whatever we want (laughs) and then we send it to the people and see if they like it 
Um, yeah. How quick are these turnarounds? Because if if it's like a brief that comes in to Seeker Road and it's like, all right, it's for this um, TV show or it's this ad and they want, like you said, a song that sounds like Florence and the Machine or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe it's for this scene and we need it like this yeah. and female vocal and whatever. It, do they... Is it like typically a quick turnaround time? Does, does Seeger Road hit you up and be like, hey, we need this in two days? Uh, do you and Anna want to get together and write mm-hmm. something and we'll, you know, AG can produce or, or whatever? Like, yeah. set me through the process of just like how that actually works. Yeah, there's a lot of quick turnarounds like that. And I will say that I'm not usually the person that is best for those quick turnaround things because one, okay. I tour a lot, and two, um, I tour a lot. So I'm not usually home, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but there are a lot of other like sync writers and producers who, who mostly stay in town in their studios. So anyway, yes. Like the other day I got, like there was a vocal they wanted for a commercial and they were like, we need this in 12 hours. And I was like, Oh great. I'm home. I'll do it. Mm. I have my SN seven B I can do vocals real quick. Um, and so I, it was a cover of, (laughs) I think it was actually a Florence song. Or was a cover wow, of a okay. cover Florence did, but it was the Florence version. Um, okay. So sure. uh, that or, you know, I've done, you know, there was a brief once where they wanted a cover of some other song and we had like three days. It's usually very quick. Um, I love a quick turnaround. I love a deadline. Deadlines are like my favorite thing. Um, the other thing cool. I was doing during the pandemic for two years was I was writing um the music for a Netflix animated series called Spirit Rangers. And that was very quick turnarounds too, which was amazing because at that time in my life, I wasn't touring as none of us really were. So, Mm. you know, I would get the script and then they would want an acoustic pass of the song within 48 to 72 hours. And then I would do that. And then once they approved the acoustic version, then I would have it produced out. And then that would be another like 72 hours and like boom, boom, boom. It went very fast. Wait, I, I okay. I want to touch on that yeah. because um, so first off, how'd you get that gig to write music for Spirit Okay, Rangers? so this was crazy. So my next door neighbor <laughs> in North Hollywood, like eight years ago, seven years ago, um, he is one of the writers on Spirit Rangers. So he got me in oh. the room to be to do a composer test. And similarly to Peter Pan, it was very Mm. like fish out of water feeling for me doing a composer test. I'd never, ever done anything like that. I'd written one song for Wally Kazam, a kid's show with two other co-writers, like when I was like 19 and they ended up buying it. And that was like really fun. But I'd never done anything else in kids music since, but I used that experience with like just my own take on this thing because this, they wanted the, the story Spirit Rangers is about an indigenous family that lives in a national park. And I really connected with the story. So it felt very easy to do this composer mm. test and to write a, a song based on the script. I felt like I was writing for me and my grandma. Mm. It was just a very natural thing for me. Mm. And I think that is what resonated with okay. them. And they ended up giving me the, um, the job. And I was one of two composing teams for the first season. And then the second season, they ended up giving me the whole show, which was super fun. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was so it was What's so a fun. composer test? A composer test is literally like writing to a brief. They gave they gave us three scripts and then had me choose one. And then when you're writing for a TV show, you know, the script for a 30-minute or 20-minute kids show is like 17 pages and then at some point in the episode there's like a paragraph 
that has an explanation that the writers put in for what they want the song to sound like. And so you get that script uh-huh. and then you basically create a demo as if you have the job. And so I created a one minute demo cool. for this song called the right way um, between a little girl and mm. her elder. And I sent it to them and I did both the vocals oh. for the little girl and for the elder. <laughs> Cause I didn't <laughs> nice, want to hire nice. a demo vocalist, of course. Um, and do they, is this an animated, animated show? show? Are they actually singing animated this show. in the episode, in yes. the episode and they sing to each yes. other and stuff? It's like, so Oh I was wow. Writing so for cool. The actors. Oh, it's and so what was also fun about this yeah. job was that I got to also, I had to do everything from start to finish with the track. So I also coached the kids to sing in. So I, I, oh, I ran wow. the session, um, you know, yeah, like, you produced, produced it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so it was really yeah. fun getting to work with kids um, and also adults. There were also adult cool. uh, guest stars and stuff. So, hmm. um, so actually, yeah, writing for television and writing for sync is similar, but different because with sync, you're writing to a brief, but with TV, you're writing to a script with like a, a brief mm. inside the script, but you get way more to work on with TV because you have an entire 17 page script. Were you writing the lyrics too, or had the lyrics, yep. did the lyrics come from the I've, script? I did lyrics and, um, I did lyrics and music, everything, but I did pull a lot of, a lot. Oh. I, I would, every time I read a script, I was like circling things. being like, we got to bring that word in that word. in. it was like, what was so fun writing cool. for TV was like, I felt like I got to be like an editor and like take every keyword from every line and incorporate that into the song because the writers want to hear their words cool. in the song. Um, but I have done, yeah. I have done work for kids TV where um, the lyrics are done. Like the writers have written the lyrics and they just mm. want you to write melody, which is also fun too. Cause it's like gotcha. a, you get to like do a puzzle of like, how do I fit all these words in? Cause they want every single yeah. word in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, right. That's when you call up Ben Gibbard. He's the yeah. master of fitting a gazillion words. Into oh my God. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, this show is called the new music business. Yeah. So I, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta talk about the business a little bit yeah. and I gotta, um, I, I'm curious. So how does the business work, uh, for composing for a show, a Netflix show, Spirit Rangers? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this a work for hire? Mm-hmm. Are you credited? Uh, do you own the songs? Is this a licensing deal? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get royalties, residuals? Yeah. Uh, are you just getting a flat fee? Like, tell me how that situation works. Yes. Yeah. It was a whole learning curve for me as well. When I got the job, I was like, how does this work on the business end? Because... You know, I was right. new to it. Luckily, I mean, first and foremost, luckily I have a really, really amazing lawyer. Everyone out there, like, have a lawyer, please. Um, and so I was, it was work for hire, so independent contractor. So I'm not, and I was never an employee of Netflix. Um, I did not have a Netflix mm-hmm. email address. Um, but it was, uh, I was paid per song and retained my writer, um, my writer share but the but netflix owns the publishing and owns the songs so it is work for hire um and but yeah but i still got to retain so when you say you retained your writer's share you meaning uh just the performance royalty so you're getting checks from your pro essentially Mm -hmm. when the song airs but you don't have any rights uh, necessarily to the to the song exactly exactly um that's my that's my interpretation of it i do also have luckily very lucky to have a lawyer and business management who take care of a lot of that. So 
my understanding of it is that um, I retain my writer like ASCAP and I have my cue sheets and everything on ASCAP. I can see every single mm-hmm. episode that I've written for on Sweet Rangers comes up on my ASCAP cool. um, and it comes up on IMDb and all of those things. Um, but I don't own the song. The, the song has been I've been bought out from mm-hmm. Netflix, um, which I'm right. super fine with because they treated me very well. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, but then also what was exciting that I'm so lucky to have gotten to do was they also hired me as a vocalist to sing the theme song as Ray Zaragoza, the artist on the show. Um, and I, there's two theme songs on the show and I got to sing both of them. And so I get royalties as a vocalist through SAG for that. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. that is legit. And um, yeah, love, love being a vocalist. Well, I'm not sure if we're, uh, if you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we're legally allowed to talk about oh, right. uh, promoting the show. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Now that SAG's on strike, we can't promote any show. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a fellow. I'm a SAG member yeah. as well, of course. Well, we're promoting me um, as a writer no, that's, on the show. I'm just, <laughs> Right. I know. I know. I'm, I'm just. I'm totally giving you shit. I, Selena Gomez just just got uh, a bunch of shit for for like posting a uh, only murders in the building promo, and they're like, "You're breaking the SAG contract. You're not allowed to do that right now. You can't promote anything." It's tricky. He's <laughs> like, "What?" Yeah, I, I was just talking yeah. to someone about that, like how. Like, I don't know, I was talking to the person who does, um, like, the morning show, like, like um, the Today Show, and she was saying how she can't yeah. have anyone, like, someone came to sing the song they wrote for Ted Lasso, but they can't show any clips from Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. but they can perform the song they wrote for Ted Lasso. They oh, just wow. can't reference Ted Lasso. Because it's promoting them. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah. It's an interesting yeah, time right now. I really hope they can work it all out. My brother is an actor. My dad's an actor. And they're both on the picket lines mm. every day. And I really hope yeah. that we can uh, reach an agreement soon and treat our writers and actors with totally. respect. Yeah. 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 And um, totally. Um, so getting back to the the sync, um, or, or so it's interesting, the difference between now now that you've done both sync work um, and composing work, mm-hmm. because when you were mentioning before how the deal works for composers, you know, it's almost seems like a hybrid of a sync deal because some composers that I mm-hmm. talk to, um, I mean, it's always work for hire, but like when they're not song songs, mm-hmm. when they're just like scoring yeah. a show or something mm-hmm. like that, it's a little bit yeah. different because it's not like, songs. I don't, those songs don't get registered in the cue sheets necessarily. I don't think mm-hmm. maybe it changes uh, with like ASCAP, yeah. you know, with their PRO. Um, but with this, because you were writing songs, um, you know, I guess the biggest difference is when when you do a licensing. Well, I guess that's that's the big difference is is in sync licensing. It's right in the title of, of what what it's called is when you license a song for sync. You retain the ownership exactly. as the writer, and you're, you retain your publishing, or your your sync agent, mm-hmm. you know, participates in publishing along with you. Uh, but you retain ownership, right. so you can do whatever you want with exactly. the song. You can license it a thousand other times if you want. Um, that's, I guess, a big difference is because when you uh, are a composer on this mm-hmm. Netflix, so like you can't license, no. you can't just because you're a writer on it. You're not, you don't have, you're not allowed to go license this song for other people right. or anything like exactly. that. Exactly, right? and these right. songs. Um, you know, we're they're they're written for the show specifically. They're not 
I mean, they call me a composer. Like my, everything has been referenced to me as a composer, but I really, what I'm doing is I'm a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing any underscore. Um, for hire. Exactly. So yeah, songwriter for right. hire. Um, yeah. And, you know, the songs that I'm writing, I'm writing for the characters, for the specific scene in it. So the songs really have no reason to mm-hmm. live anywhere else other than on the show or on YouTube for the show. So, um, sure. So for those reasons, like work for hire stuff, for kids stuff has always felt great um because there's nothing there's no really yeah. other place those cool. songs need to be <laughs> yeah, yeah no that makes it makes sense yeah. um so i want to talk about um you know y- correct me if i'm wrong but you've been essentially self-releasing mm-hmm. and is this is the new record um is that also self-released yeah. under your record, record label, label yeah. rebel river records yeah. So talk to me about Rebel River Records and how that came to be and the idea behind that. I saw that you like involved your Patreon backers in the process in some way. Uh, So, yeah, talk to me about Rebel River Records and just like the release process over the last, uh, I guess, as long as you've been doing it. Yeah. So uh, Hold That Spirit is my third record and I've only ever self-released. And so I started Rebel River Records with my last record, Woman in Color. And at that time, my management was like shopping my record to different labels. And we had like a couple interesting things um, on the table. And with this record, we did too. But just none of it felt like it was worth giving up a lot of my agency or the rights to Hmm. have all the control. Um, And also the fact that I do things that are outside of my artist project is really only possible because I don't have to get label waivers all the time. Um, even like for the Netflix mm. show, I would have had to get a label waiver if I was on a major label or I was on a, a label. And they that could that could have Can held. Can you explain a, what a label? Yeah, yeah. Waiver I was actually is? talking to, about this with my Netflix rep, and so a, basically, like this is my understanding of it. So correct me if I am saying anything wrong, but when you're on a label, you know, they have full control over your catalog, over what you produce and what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And so if you're going to do something work for hire where the label is not cut in or the label is not, has has no part of it. Like if you're doing a a TV show, like this Netflix show where everything's work for hire, where let's say there is a part of your label deal where they control part of your publishing or they have say in your publishing or whatever you would need to get a label waiver, basically the label allowing you to do that show or to do X, Y, Z. And a lot of times label waivers can take a lot of time to get approved, to get worked through. And a lot of TV doesn't have that time. And so my Netflix rep told me, she was like, Oh yeah. Like if we, if we would have had, if we would have needed a label waiver to work with you, it could have changed everything because we worked very quickly once I was hired. Boom. We had to go to work. So, (laughs) And I had the ability to sign completely. I had no one has any, you know, I don't have to check with anyone. I don't have to check with a label if I can do this or do that. So it's worked really well for me to be independent. Um, And so basically woman in color, when I released that album in 2020, um, I just had this idea and I was like, you know, it'd be fun. Like what if I like started my own record label powered by my fans and i've been on patreon for six years i love my patreon 
Um, I've made like well into six figures on Patreon since I started. And I just really, Hmm. really, really am passionate about the subscription model for artists. And even on during the pandemic, when things were really rough, I didn't know where I was going to be making money. I always had Patreon. Patreon was like this, like, um, this like solid thing always. And, um, so yeah, I just really leaned into it and thought it'd be a fun way to kind of do kind of like a crowdfunding campaign, but have it be towards subscriptions instead of toward like a one-time payment of like Kickstarter or whatever for this last record. So I ended up being able to fund that last record just on um, kind of really pumping up my Patreon by creating this record label, which, you know, is an actual label. Like I self-release under Rebel of River Records, but also I use my patrons as this kind of, they act as like my label reps, as I like to say, because I literally post all of the songs for that I'm considering for my records on Patreon before they're out. So everyone on Patreon has heard the music like months, months, months in advance and they vote on which songs they think should go on the record. So for hold that spirit and woman in color, I Uh. posted like 20 songs and then they voted on which ones they liked best, which I took into consideration with my own preferences, with my team's preferences and with all that other things, but they really got a huge say. And like, the last song on the record on this record um when this shit is over i was not going to put on my album because it was like an Mm -hmm. older song i didn't really think it needed to be on the record but my patrons like made sure sure it was on the record so i put that on there for them (laughs) Um, and so yeah yeah it's really been fun to get to crowdsource not not only crowdfund but also crowdsource their opinions and and treat them like my team Mm mm-hmm yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, some Patreon tips you've made. You said into uh, well into six figures, which is incredible. Um, what do you attribute to the your success on Patreon? Because I've talked to a lot of artists who gave it a yeah. go and kind of either burnt out yeah. on it, gave up on it. It didn't return the what they thought, yeah. you know, based on the amount of effort they were putting into it. So, give us some tips to the artists that are listening, right. to just like what, how you have found success on Patreon. Absolutely, uh, and just to clarify, like I've made well into six figures in total since, so not yearly or anything, because that would be amazing. Over six years, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, but yeah. um, right. <laughs> just so all your listeners don't think I'm like, like, ding. But um, that's still a significant amount of money, and it has covered right. my rent for six years. But um, yeah. So anyway, Huge. um. I think I'm really lucky because I got in on Patreon when it was pretty new or newish. And I'm Mm -hmm. like on the back end of Mm -hmm. my Patreon, it says like, I'm like a founder. Like I'm one of the early, the early folks that was there. And I think that was lucky because when I was promoting my Patreon in the beginning, it was very new. It was this like hot new Mm. thing. And a lot of the people who signed up were very much like, what is this? Like, this is an exciting new thing. And that was also back when the Instagram Facebook algorithms weren't shooting down anything that referenced Patreon or referenced other sites that have subscription models. I know Instagram is doing their own subscription model or they were trying to, I don't know. So at that time I was actually able to really, to, to promote my Patreon subscriptions very well organically on Instagram and Facebook, which is a lot harder now, I will say. Mm. So I think I could see why someone getting started in the past two years might say, dang, like this is really hard. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the algorithm. And it's just really hard to like have organic reach now to transition sure. people to Patreon. Um, so a lot of people who 
I have on my Patreon have been there for like four years <laughs> or more. Um, sure. And I still am acquiring. I cry other. I, acquire them at shows or like I'm always mentioning my Patreon. I try to always drop it okay. on stage or just, um, you know, in conversations on interviews because you just never know someone out there like wants to support you. And so, um, I mean, my tips would be to like, you know, there have been times where I have devoted a lot more time and energy to promoting my Patreon and to giving it like a much larger mm -hmm. part of my, a mental space and there are times when I've given it a little bit less and then it's kind of like the numbers mm -hmm. have shown that and so if you start a patreon you can really just post once a week have it be something that's not something that you feel like is going to take over your life and tell mm -hmm. the people on patreon that's what you're doing this is what you can expect from me and then have it there because a lot of people will sign up for your Patreon just because they want to support you and they don't really care how often you post. Mm -hmm. So just having it there is nice, even if it's an extra like $100, $200 a month and then it can grow if you just organically person to person at your shows if you tour a lot or here or there or mention it on your Instagram or, you know, I've always like gamified it being like if I get 20 new patrons today or next week or whatever on Instagram, then I will release a video of this or like have these benchmarks like, Mm -hmm. it has worked for me and it's a slow climb but for me even with like all of my development of like my fan base I feel like has been one by one sure. like one person to this person told that mm -hmm. person to that person and the same thing goes for Patreon I feel like once you get that one person who's like yeah. I believe in you and I'm gonna give you $25 every month for the next six years like and then if you get a hundred of those yeah it's just you know I only have like a hundred and something patrons, yeah. but it makes a huge difference in um, my income. Yeah. So yeah, it's one by one. I mean, yeah. And that's, you know, the, it's the concept of the thousand true fans, which yeah. it's a misnomer that it needs to be a thousand. Mm -hmm. It's any number of true fans yeah. that are going to support you every year at varying amounts. Mm -hmm. And this is a true testament to, you know, we we become so obsessed as an industry with the macro numbers. You know, they're listed right there on Spotify. What are your mm -hmm. monthly listeners? What are your stream counts and all of that stuff? I just we just posted an episode um, with the guys from Beat App. Their entire job is fighting streaming fraud mm -hmm. because it is so rampant. And it's just like all these numbers are inflated yeah. and manipulated. And it's like. And even Russ, the the uh, rap artist Russ, was just going off on on Twitter uh, because his album came out and it and it didn't chart uh, it on Billboard mm -hmm. like he thought it was supposed to. And he's just like all these other major label artists because he's totally independent, mm -hmm. self released DIY as well. It's like all these major label artists, you know, they're manipulating the charts, being X, Y, and Z, and this is how it's done. And these numbers are inflated, and these bots and da da da. Which he's not mm -hmm. wrong; he's completely accurate. And we just like the conversation is so obsessive around these top level vanity yeah. metrics. And that's all really what they are. They're just vanity metrics and they don't they're not meaningful, yeah. and especially when like streaming pays what it pays or, or doesn't pay. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, what are we doing? Like what are what is the point right. of what we're doing? And it's like, you know, it's it's for most of us, I would imagine it's to make a living supporting the kind of lifestyle that we want to live doing what we yeah. love, but also, you know, really engaging 
and finding those people that are going to resonate with the art that we put yeah. out. And so you have, uh, I'm on your Patreon right now, you have 149 mm -hmm. patrons. And that's fantastic. And I see it varying levels, you know, and, and I love that you have kind of listed this right here. It's like, you know, I love the t terms like interns, $5 yeah. a month, engineers, $15 yeah. a month, producers, $35 a month, executives, $150 a month. Mm -hmm. And so like you're a true testament to just kind of, you know, not obsessing over the macro numbers is like, how do I get more, 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 more streams? Why aren't I at the gazillions listeners, blah, 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 but really focusing in on the people that actually care and then doubling down on that and realizing, well, if I connect with these people on a real deep, intimate level and meaningful level, and it's like a respectful mm. relationship, then they're going to stay with me most likely for yeah. life. Like you said, a lot of them already been with you for years. Yep. There's no indication that they're just going to dip out because you've continued that relationship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have some fans that have grown up with me. There's a couple... Um, fans of mine that are like maybe 12 now but they started listening to my music when they were six and like five and i've i've watched wow. them grow up after life <laughs> yeah and it's amazing yeah. and <laughs> i am so about like exactly what you said like about the micro i'm all about the super fan and i make the music for the super fans and i make sure that my super fans always feel like they're being heard and they are being taken care of and that at my shows i try to make sure i know who in the audience is a patron like Hey, Jalmer, thank you for being here. Mm. My patron's here. You, like Susie, thank you for being here. Like, I'm so good to see you. Like, again, you know, like, I want to make sure yeah. that people awesome. in the inner circle feel seen and heard and that people know that at any time they can join our inner circle. Um, and I recognize faces at mm. shows. I try to remember names. And, you know, like, my streaming numbers are, like, awesome. nothing to write home about, nothing I really give a shit about. And, like, I, of course, like... I'm on like one right. like folk editorial playlist on Spotify that isn't even the majority of my streams on that song. And I like have never really cared too much about streaming because I know that like the things that have sustained me and have given me such a amazing life with music um, are really more about the like micro like fan to artist relationship I do really good on merch. Yes. I do really good with live shows and I do great with um, my Patreon, but a lot of the more um, macro things like charting on streaming or charting on this or that, like it's just, it, it hasn't been um, how my music career has gone and I'm like fine with that. I don't know if I'll ever be a major label artist or I'll ever be a million listener a month artist on Spotify, maybe, who knows, but like, that's not really what I care about. And, um, I make like a really yeah. amazing living. I, I have like, you know, uh, investment accounts and a savings account and all like these things that hmm. I've completely made through music because I have really valued, um, you know, instead of the vanity, I've really valued the sustainability um, and that is also financial. Mm. Um, and I, I have so much rather invest my time into, um, you know, playing smaller shows where I know I can fill the room instead of like the vanity of like, I'm going to do this big thing and like, see if it works or whatever. Um, and that's also why I've played solo right. for most of my career, like the past 10 mm. years, I'm doing my first headline tour with a band this month. 
But before this, I've started playing shows when I was 19. I'm 30. I've only ever played solo and kept my overhead very, very low. Um, I don't believe in touring Mm. um, and losing money. I just just don't want to do it. Um, I also don't really have any interest in going to debt. Um, So I just don't do anything that's going to overextend myself. And I keep overhead very, very low. Um, William Elliott Whitmore and Chloe Whitmore, his wife, I toured with them. And they both taught me, they were like, keep overhead low, do it. Like, and really nurture the small super fan audience. And they do so well with that. And that's always just been my way because mm. I can't compete with like the major this and the, like, I just, I can't compete with that. And I don't really care to. So yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Ray. Well, this is, uh, it's been so great and I appreciate uh, you sharing so much and being so transparent. And um, we've, we've really gone on a journey yeah. <laughs> this afternoon <laughs> all over the place and it's, it's great. Um, and uh, it is fantastic. Um, and I, uh, again, the record's brilliant and I love it. And I wish you all the best on the tour. I'm going to come to the hotel cafe uh, show that I saw you're doing in, in a couple of weeks. So I'll be there. That's awesome. exciting. Um, so I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? What does it mean to me to make it in the new music business? Honestly, this is like a boring answer, but, um, I think it means to be able to support the life that you want. It does not need to be anything crazy like I live in a one bedroom apartment in Long Beach and I can sustain my life very comfortably. I'm never really stressed about money on a day-to-day basis. So that for me is making it. My music has fed this life. Mm. It's nothing extravagant, but it is absolutely wonderful and sustainable. So that to me is making it and being open and and in the creative ways that that can come about. I think when I first started playing music, I thought that my album sales needed to be what created my life, but I've realized that it's actually some of the side dishes that actually make it happen. Like the sync stuff, the TV stuff, the theater stuff, the this or that, like the Mm -hmm. Patreon. It's not just about the like head on, like selling albums. Um, And so, yeah, being willing to open yourself up to those things. Ray Zaragoza. Thank Thank you you so much. That was great. Today's episode was edited by Mikey Evans with music by Brassroots District and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. And once again, quick shout out to my partner, Band Zoogle. You can design any website on Bandzoogle, get 15% off and a 30-day free trial by using the code Ari. That's Bandzoogle.com. Use the promo code Ari. Aight.